0: Every week, it's my goal to share a story of someone's journey through their life and financial vineyard. We take you from their roots to the journey of their vines and the influences in the air that help craft their delicious lives. Like wine, life and finances have different palates that should be celebrated and not judged. We want to welcome Matthew Frankel to the show today. Matthew is a writer for Motley Fool. He was a math teacher when he first started out in his career and transitioned over to a CFP and author for many, many articles on Monday Pool. We have tons of resources available for you to learn more about his writings, his education writings, and more about uh, Matt in general. We'd love for you to sit on back, sip your favorite beverage. I'm going to be drinking a Cab Franc from one of my favorite New York wineries. Well, Matt, is going to be probably exploring Angel's Envy, which is actually not a wine. Stay tuned for Matt's favorite beverage. Well, Matt, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Today, joining me on Wine and Dime is Matt Frankel. Matt is also a CFP. And he does a lot of writing for Monte Fool. He has a podcast he's going to be telling you about in just a few minutes. Thank you so much, Matt, for being on the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: Well, as you know, we always like to start the podcast with, you know, something light and fluffy, which is not finance, (laughs) at least not in today's finance world. And that is around a wine tip selection. And I know for you you're not so much a wine fan but you are a bourbon fan.
1: That's true. I well I to be fair, I do enjoy a, a Merlot when I have a steak. Um, that's my that's my my wine extent but I am a bourbon fan. I'm looking forward to having some of my uh, my latest bottle which is called uh, Angels Envy at the end of today.
0: Angels Envy and where is that out of?
1: believe it's Kentucky
0: Kentucky okay is there a particular uh food that you like with that you said you like Merlot with a, a steak but is there a particular food you like with bourbon or is it more about who you're drinking the bourbon with
1: it's more about who I'm drinking bourbon with uh my, my wife is a, is a wine drinker and uh, at the end of the day I'll usually have a well, you know a glass of bourbon especially on a Friday a little glass of bourbon and she'll have whatever wine she's si- si- sipping on that day
0: Well, I would be like your wife. (laughs) So let's dig into your, I guess you want to say, you know, journey and what your vineyard actually looks like with regards to the formation and, um, you know, how you began writing for money how you became a CFP. Uh, I know one of the most recent articles that you wrote was, Um, about more than 60% of Americans are worried about their finances right now. I'd love to dig into that a little bit. Um, So, you know, what, where did, where did your life start out on this journey?
1: Well, I kind of, um, I have an interesting story. um, Unlike most CFPs, I didn't always have a great financial, you know, grasp, I guess that you would say. Um, I started out as I was a high school teacher um, in my previous life. I taught high school math for several years, and um, at one point, I actually had pretty terrible credit and had you know a lot of credit card debt, things like that. And I, I like to say sometimes you have to do something wrong to figure out that you want to learn <laughs> how to do it right. Um, so I spent a lot of time. This was years and years ago um, in my college days when I had bad credit, um, but. I spent the the several years after college kind of really learning finance, learning how investing works, learning how credit works, learning why it's important to have some emergency savings, things like that. And I wound up really loving it and I've always been a pretty decent writer and I kind of stumbled into the writing gig by accident and um the Motley fool found me and asked asked me if I'd be interested in writing for them and one thing led to another, and here I am, a CFP, mm-hmm. and um, it's been quite a journey, and I've been with The Motley Fool for eight years now.
0: So you said you were a math teacher. How long did you do that? How, how long were you a math teacher?
1: I was a math teacher at the high school level for five years and at the college level for another three.
0: Was there a particular um, focus of math that you worked with?
1: Uh, everyone always needs a glass of wine after a calculus class. <laughs> That's ah. what I, That's what I focused on in college and in high school, I was an algebra two teacher.
0: Oh, see now both classes I really enjoyed, but Eldra hands down, I think is something that uh, everybody should walk out of high school and college knowing because we use it. So we really do use it on a daily basis. Like when you think of, you know, I never want to say that any math isn't used frequently, but when we're, we're always solving for X.
1: And my, my favorite part of my classes was trying to really put a real world spin on this. I was I after a couple of years of teaching, I got so sick and tired of hearing when am I ever gonna use this. So instead of, you know, just sticking with the curriculum, I would always try to incorporate some real world examples. And and personal finance is a great mm-hmm. you know, a great it translates really well to a to high school math because that's a personal finance education is something that's really lacking in America. So I always tried to, you know, incorporate ways they could apply the math concepts they were learning to their financial lives. Hopefully some of them picked up some useful skills from me.
0: I would absolutely agree with the comment that you just made. Um, Many states, there's many more states that don't require any kind of financial education at the high school level than do require it. I think at last count there might have been like 17 states that required some sort of financial education. I'm not saying some states don't include it or some schools don't, but it's a very small window of of states that actually require it which you know in in times like this like right now that we're dealing with pretty big financial confusion and uh-huh. i'm trying to understand what's going on when people don't have a basis of the education that makes it even scarier so i thought that's why i thought you know your article recently around why 60% of Americans worry are worried about money was a, such a timely topic to kind of walk through. Um, I, I know you met, made a comment about sometimes you have to make mistakes in order to figure out what you're going to do with those mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, what sort of took you from that collegiate world? I know you said you had bad credit, but what sort of took you from that collegiate world? And one day you woke up and said, Hey, I think, I should go this direction a little bit more.
1: Well, I think it was after graduation when all my friends started, you know, buying cars, which clearly as a new, new graduate, you need a loan to buy a car usually. Um, and things like, and getting credit cards and, you know, eventually buying houses and things like that. And I couldn't do that because I had graduated with bad credit. So that was kind of the, the turning point when I saw that I was kind of falling behind the curve, I guess you would say. And uh, that's really involved, evolved into one of my favorite math lessons. Um, it's, it's, I mean, you, we mentioned that personal finance education is so important and so lacking in so many places, but in particular, knowing how things like credit cards work before you get to mm-hmm. college is something mm-hmm. that's, for obvious reasons, really near and dear to my heart. There,
0: knowing how student loans work before you get to college, oh, that too, <laughs> you know, that's a big thing. And, um, you know, you, you've done a ton of writing, a lot of times, it's on, um, I guess the the readings that I've read that you've written are f- for financial education around different topics. So things like bank earnings, you know, what to know and 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 what we don't. Um, you know, those are those are important topics because they get down to that core level of understanding, somewhat of the volatility of the stock market. Um, also, you know, sort of the basics in a language that's not formula driven. It's it's very understandable to a lot of people when they can read uh, specific information. You had written an article on, I think it was April, yeah, April 22nd. And it, it, the title of the article was said, Warren Buffett stocks that look, uh, one Warren Buffett stock that looks too cheap to ignore. And you, you really got into the crux of why why you felt that way right and and it really explained to people i thought in a very digestible way um something that they could take away and say oh maybe i should look at this particular company not to get you know specific but only to talk about you know you're writing to the public and trying to educate the public on these particular topics so that if they didn't get the financial education they have some place that they can go to now start getting the financial education.
1: Yeah. I, I like to really focus on what what we like to call the mindset of investing at The Motley Fool and um, kind of the, the why behind everything. Um, mm-hmm. a, a lot of people don't really understand how the stock market works or how what they should expect when they invest in stocks, or if they see something going up and down, it's not just random motion. There's usually a, a real reason behind it, and a lot of times it's something you can you can explain in pretty simple English. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really what I try to focus on when I'm either writing an investment article or or speaking to a client or or just kind of explaining why people shouldn't panic right now. And it's, <laughs> just, like you said, it's just such a timely issue. Um, I, I read something today that the average 401k lost almost 20% of its value in the yeah. first quarter yeah and th- and this is something that people are really scared about when they check their balances which by the way you shouldn't check your 401k balance every day that's <laughs> a bad idea um, but it's it's something that's very scary to the average American and it's it's interesting to understand why it's interesting to to explain how this is not really an unprecedented situation mm-hmm. and kind of what to expect, what not to panic about and the, the why's.
0: Well, I think, you know, talking about what just recently happened and then how quickly 10% of that was regained, you know, so, so, you know, what, and, and people have asked me this question too. So let's just geek out on this for just a tad bit because you know, not to get into forecasting because none of us actually have the ability to say tomorrow the market is going to rise X, Y, B, Z percent, percent, right? No, if, and that's something else we, that's
1: important to know.
0: <laughs> that, that we can't, for, like, we can't tell you that. We don't know. Like, there's no magic ball, right? <laughs> I, I um, for a long time, used to have the eight balls sitting at my desk. And I used it as a joke, you know, but I, I, I had to know the client and, and know that I wasn't trying to be, I wasn't trying to avoid their question, but the fact of the matter is the stock market and the short term is not something that we can gauge today or tomorrow, but we can look back historically and we can dig into some of the details and say, based on our knowledge and experience and beliefs, under you know, again, research-wise, this is what we think the future could bring. We just don't know when, right?
1: Right, and the most common questions I get asked by clients, and I'm sure you're in the same boat, is something to the effect of, um, "Is the stock market going to come back this month, or, yeah. or something to that effect?" And my answer is, I don't know. Um, you'll be fine in ten years, but in the next month, I don't know. And um, the other big question I'm getting asked right now is, why is the market rebounding when this, you know, terrible disease is still going on? And that's another thing that a lot of investors really don't understand is that the stock market's really a, it's a forward indicator. it's It's based on what they think what the, are what investors' best expectations are for the future, not necessarily what's going on right now. And no, like you said, nobody knows, and all you can do is take into account the best available information. And that's um, you know like for example, when the big, the CARES Act uh, passed, I know you talked about that on a recent show. Um, When the CARES Act passed, it 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 was the first big leg up in this in this rebound because that will mitigate the economic damage. Um, So the market is very tough to understand, especially for the average person, and it's very important to know that even your financial planners have no clue what's going to happen in the next week, the next month. Mm -hmm. But we all know that, or you you and I know that it's still a great place to keep your money for the long-term
0: long-term. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, the article that I specifically quoted a, a couple of times at this point in time that, that the, the coronavirus has 60% of Americans worried about money. There's a reason for that. And, um, let's just kind of walk down through some of the details. So for, we'll, we'll provide the link in our show notes for this particular article, article, but we talk a lot about, um, finance and numbers, but there's a ton of emotion in what we do, right? A ton of emotion in the, the actual aspect of working with clients and, and dealing with a, a 30% drop in the market, you know, feels very scary. Those are all feelings. They're not that the actual numbers. And so when we talk about, yeah, we believe, and I wholeheartedly believe that, you know, in ten years, I didn't touch an X I actually put a little more money in. I overweighted my equity exposure for the next couple of years um, because I have time, and because I believed that this was a real buying opportunity. Um, I didn't do that necessarily for clients. We stuck to their risk tolerance, but for my own risk tolerance, I felt really good about this correction, but many people are felt the opposite. They didn't want more money going in globally is what I'm talking about. Let's talk a little bit about why Americans are are worried about money. What was your research showing you? Well,
1: there's a few different reasons. It's, it's really a perfect storm of, of things that make people worried about money right now, um, I mean, obviously, a you know twenty six million unemployment claims in the past few weeks. A lot of people have had their income disrupted because of of the current situation, um, and it's not just the income disruption; it's eating away at people's savings. I mentioned the average four hundred one k is down by almost twenty percent. Mm-hmm. So people are seeing their savings evaporate. Their income is uncertain. A lot more people we hear being furloughed or. Or laid off every day. Um, Disney, for example, just just furloughed everybody in its parks. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot, a lot of income disruption, a lot of uncertainty is really the key word. People are very uncertain about the financial future, how long this is going to last, how deep it's going to be, um, when their jobs are going to come back, um, if their jobs if they are still working, if their jobs going to exist tomorrow, If their kids are out of school, how are they going to still go to work if their kids are out mm-hmm. of school? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the savings issue where about half of Americans don't have emergency savings. Um, most Americans who have full-time jobs have retirement savings in 401ks, but they're seeing that really knocked down. Um, and it's a, and we all know that it's a generally bad idea to tap into your 401k early. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of just real uncertainty and, you know, just scary news going on right now. And it's. It has a lot of Americans worried, especially the ones that don't have emergency savings,
0: which a lot of Americans don't.
1: Correct. I I read a statistic that half of Americans couldn't pay for a four hundred dollar expense without using a credit card or borrowing the money.
0: Yeah, four hundred dollars. Yeah, that's a very scary thing. And and even if so, you know, if somebody does get furloughed, they don't know when they're necessarily going to get called back and and furloughed, I guess maybe let's take a second to explain the difference between what being laid off means and what often being furloughed means.
1: Yeah, um, well, being laid off is essentially you don't have a job anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, Being furloughed is that your job is temporarily put on hold. In most cases, if you're furloughed, um, employers are still paying for your health care and other benefits. You just don't go to work and you don't get a paycheck. Um, And the CARES Act actually expanded unemployment to include furloughed workers, which is a very, very useful provision of it. But um, so many Americans have either been furloughed or laid off. And the study that – or the article you were citing with 60% of people are worried about their finances, only four out of 10 Americans reported no change at all in their work situations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, so 60% of people have – Right, sixty yeah. percent of people have had their work situations disrupted in some way, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and that and this was you know several weeks ago. So, like I said, we're still seeing the the disruption trickle in. So it's it's not surprising that um, people are scared.
0: Right, and the article also dug into people working from home versus reduced hours versus closing getting paid closing not getting paid laid off and then unaffected and that statistics that you just mentioned that you know 4 in 10 were unaffected certain industries obviously like the you know leisure and hospitality they had a huge number of people that were impacted it was only 15% so 1.5 people in 10 that were unaffected in the leisure and hospitality
1: area, right? You're seeing um, n- numbers like what 18 percent in leisure and hospitality. Their businesses are closed and they're not getting paid. 11 yeah. percent have just been laid off. Yeah. Um, another 16 percent are working reduced hours. So b- between all those things, there's some industries that have really been disrupted. Yeah. Um, I mean, the town I used to live in, where I taught high school, was in uh, the, in South Florida. And it's a huge hospitality and tourism driven market, and they're something they're projecting something like seventy to eighty percent of people are out of work right now.
0: What town did you teach in South Florida? Just shout out to them.
1: I taught in Key West, Florida, at Key West oh, High you were, School.
0: You were way down in South Florida. I was that. way way down there, and
1: right now that they're closed to anyone who doesn't live there.
0: And yeah. For a tourism
1: driven town, that's not that's not good.
0: Uh, one of our clients actually winters in. Um, Pine Key area, okay, and they ended up coming back early just to make sure. It was more for healthcare, like just in case they got they got sick. They wanted to be closer to you know healthcare facilities. There's not a ton out there on the keys as far as healthcare goes.
1: Right. My my wife worked at the only uh, hospital in the in the lower <laughs> keys. Uh, that's when we met. I was a teacher and she was a. She was a nurse, and we joked that we were the only two people with normal jobs in Key West.
0: <laughs> How is your wife dealing with us, thinking that she's in the healthcare profession? She's good.
1: She's a clinical educator at a local hospital around here, and um, she hasn't been too affected. She's taking the next week off um, unpaid. She volunteered for unpaid leave. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's been not as disruptive to her to her job. Mm-hmm. She doesn't work with patients directly anymore. So
0: is I mean, but you guys have friends, I mean, she has colleagues that are in that, that are actually working in, in the profession still, I'm assuming, and, you know, hearing some of the, the comments and, and struggles that they're having, um, just, you know, to say thank you to all of those people that continue to.
1: Yes. I mean, I, I, I couldn't do the jobs, um, for, for a little while her job was telling people their, uh, COVID-19 test results. Uh, uh, recently so i i couldn't do that job i've i've such respect for all the healthcare workers no. um they're, they're i mean i i consider my job to be a little important right now but i mean calming people down about their finances but yeah. I, that doesn't even compare
0: what are some of the things that you know we we like to talk about uh, the challenges in getting into, so you are what we call a career changer, right? So what would you say are some of the con- challenges that you experienced and that you expe- are experiencing right now in your profession? Um,
1: right now I'm actually one of the few that has not been disrupted. I'm used, I'm used to working from home and with so many people concerned about their finances, it's a good time to be a, someone who calms people down about their finances. Um, as far as being a career changer, I'd say the biggest transition was job security. Um, I'm technically a, a freelancer. I'm an independent contractor. So going from a one of the things the teaching profession really has going for it is job security. You're generally on a continuing contract after a few years. Um, it's pretty easy to find a job, especially if you're a math teacher. Um, and going from that to a non-steady paycheck or my My income was directly proportional to the the work I did was a big change and it it required a lot more budgeting and going from being an employee to being self employed <laughs> um, i I learned the hard way the first year that um don't underestimate your taxes
0: <laughs> <laughs> now you you said that you were picked up by money, like they saw some of your writing and picked you up and you you know continued to write under their umbrella what what were you writing at the time that they saw some of your work
1: i was actually writing, um while i was still teaching everybody in, in the florida keys has two jobs or or more uh, it's just an expensive place to live so on the afternoons when i was teaching i was writing for a competitor called seeking alpha mm-hmm. um, and and just kind of you know every so often i'd publish a little article and um I was focused on the mathematical side of investing at that point, you know, like options trading and you know, Mm -hmm. complex stuff like that. Um, And the Motley Fool, I they started a program called the Blog Network, which was essentially an open source where anybody could submit a piece, and if the Motley Fool liked it, they would publish it. Mm -hmm. Um, So they, someone reached out and encouraged me to start submitting things to them. And uh, about a year later, they offered me a full time contract, and I and that's when I left the teaching profession.
0: That's a pretty neat story. I mean, that, that talks about, so I always like to ask people what sort of influences, um, have helped, you know, their vineyard, like how, you know, what are the nutrients that have been there for them to, to encourage them to pursue interests and passions. And, and so somebody encouraged you to post on that open forum. You kept, you know, just kind of add it, just posting things occasionally. They saw your work and picked you up and allowed you to continue your passion full time.
1: Yeah. And it's, it, they really have a kind of learn as you earn mindset. So, I mean, I wasn't, You know, I, I mean, I got my CFP certification while I was an <laughs> active writer for The Motley Fool. So it's really been a, you know, eight years of higher education, I would say. Um, and in addition to that, I would just have to say that, you know, having a good support system at home, um, mm-hmm. the, the primary reason that I, you know, decided to leave teaching was because we wanted to move away from the Florida Keys, uh, to start a family. Cause it's really not a great place for kids down there. <laughs> um, it's
0: a great place to visit. <laughs> yeah, It's a
1: great place to visit. I wouldn't want to raise small children, especially there's very few daycares, things like that. Um. So we knew we wanted to move, and when I got that offer, my my wife was very encouraging. She said, "Go for it." And I don't know if I would have had the the fortitude to, you know, g- give up such a steady job with with benefits and all that for, mm-hmm. for if if I didn't have that encouragement.
0: So moving kind of forward just a little bit, now you have children, right?
1: Yes, they are four and two.
0: So you have little children. <laughs> And do they understand um, what you do or are you including money lessons in their lives already?
1: Um, the older ones somewhat. I'll actually share a, a real quick uh, funny story. Um, my daughter, when she was three, she was in preschool and they did um, career day, like where they would all go around and tell what their parents did. And the teacher said, what does mommy do? Oh, she's a nurse. She saves people. She helps sick people. She you know, she comforts people when they're sick, things like that. And they like Oh, what does daddy do? And she said, my hair. <laughs> so, so, so to the long story short is no, my kids really don't understand what I do.
0: You know, that's, that's such a great, um, honestly though, it's such a great lead into some of the things that we've seen over the last couple of, I would say weeks into the last month, because, on our team, we have two of the CFPs on our team are parents. And one of our members, Carrie, she's got older kids, and her kids have a pretty good understanding of what she does. But Kate's kids, they they know what Kate does, but they don't really understand what Kate does. And when historically, like when mom's been home, mom's been mom, they mom has done their hair. Sure. And during this pandemic, when everybody's been working from home, they, they haven't quite grasped that when mom says I'm in a meeting and she's staring at a computer screen, talking to somebody that mom's not there to do their hair.
1: Right. So
0: it's been very interesting to see how those dynamics have played out as a whole. Uh, with parents trying to work from home during this particular situation. And, and when they see their parents through their eyes that, you know, mommy's a nurse, she saves everybody and dad does her hair. <laughs> they don't understand the the actual reality of what mommy and daddy are doing when they're sitting there in their various locations doing their kind of work. And I think that's come out more than ever. We always joke and say, you know, kids dot and and puppies are and, and and cats are always allowed in in the meetings. Just don't expect us to focus on you if you bring your kids and your puppies and your your That's cat to the
1: meeting. <laughs> I mean, for, for the time being, I'm happy with my kids thinking that dad plays on the computer and gets paid for it. Um, but I mean, once they get a little older, I plan on. I mean, my my kids aren't going to go to college not knowing personal finance.
0: Yeah, um, well, yeah, of course not. And I'm sure that you'll have a better, you know, be able to, I'm sure you'll be able to implement some of the writing as well towards that. We just put a free resource out on our website for parents to use to um, help educate their children on finances just a little bit. It's kind of a little bit for kids older, you know, like seven plus, but it's a coloring book that you can print off different pages and have your kids learn a little bit about finances, including budgeting, um, is part of the keep my kids occupied while I'm in a meeting goal.
1: That's a, that's a very productive use of time, if you ask me.
0: Well, me too. I'm kind of prejudiced, though. Um, but no, I think it's really important. And so so you guys moved um, – out of the keys, you've, you have your two children at this point in time, you continue to write, uh, for Monte full, what's your next, what do you think is the next challenge that you're going to, um, try to achieve?
1: Ooh, that's a good, that's a really good question. Um, I think what I wanted, I, I'd, I'd like to start focusing a little more on, Get get back to my teaching roots when it comes to writing. In other words, um, more of the more of the basics um, mm-hmm. I, over the. I mean, like I said, I've been writing for the Motley Fool for eight years now, and my, I've I've really it's really evolved to where you know I'm talking about oh, this individual stock and why it's going mm-hmm. up and things like that. Mm-hmm. I'd really like to focus on building out some of the investing basics content. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's definitely going to be a big focus in the near future. As far as the next steps go, um, I mean, I don't know. I'm never happy doing the same thing for too too long. I like to change it up, and um, I mean, my, my primary focus in writing was social security a few years ago. Just to kind mm-hmm. of throw that mm-hmm. out there,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and it, it just it, it evolves over time. And um, we 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 just started doing a lot of live uh, content for our premium subscribers on the Motley Fool, and I've been involved in that, and I am I, I like being not necessarily on camera. I'm more of a podcast guy, but <laughs> I, I I like interacting with the members and and really like just seeing the it's 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 essentially a live Q and A format. Um, and I like um getting the feedback on what people are understanding and what they're not understanding and interacting directly. So I think things like that, like direct interaction with the people reading my articles, and
0: Great.
1: is is really going to be a focus going forward.
0: Great. I mean, when you do launch that cloud, that investment basic class, please keep us posted because I think we've, tr- we've done some YouTube videos around the basics of investing, but it's really hard, you know, to, to do, you can spend 45 minutes on the basics of stocks, you know, and, and we're trying to we're with the YouTube video that we've done, we've spent 45 minutes covering, you know, what is a stock? What is a bond? What is a mutual fund? What is an ETF? But I think people are craving that there's so much confusion about what that is and what investing actually is that I I think the more that we can um, educate people about those basics, the less fear there is around it. You know, if they actually understand it a little bit, that takes away the fear. And I know as at our firm, we always say financial planning isn't investing it's piece of it, but financial planning is so much broader. You know, it's talking about the debt situation. It's talking about planning for your children's education. It's talking about buying your first home or your student loans. Um, and it includes a piece of the investing, but people are so, they, they feel overwhelmed. And especially when it comes to the internet, you know, you can Google anything and find one person says this and another person says the exact opposite.
1: Yeah. I, I, I understand that too. I really get where you're coming from there. And a lot of things, this is why I'm talking about the video content, like your YouTube video. A lot of the basics are really better understood if somebody's standing there and explaining it to you. Mm -hmm. Like reading articles, like what I write and the, is, is kind of level two, I would say. Right. Uh, Building a foundation is really a lot easier and more efficient if somebody's just explaining it to you.
0: Yeah. So when you launch that, let us know. I sure will. <laughs> we'll make sure to put it out there and also make sure that, um, you know, people are aware of where they can go get additional resources. So I always like to ask one additional question before we move on to the final question. And that's because I'm always interested in everybody has their own definition of success, and I'm always interested in what that means for people individually. So what is your definition of success?
1: My definition of success has to be liking what I do every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I work very hard right now, but I love my job. I love getting in front of the computer and in front of the camera and on on, on calls all day and, and doing what I do. I like interacting with clients. I find that I'm very good at explaining Tough concepts and it's it's been a really fun eight years and I couldn't imagine doing anything else at this point. So <laughs> I never felt in in that sense I never felt successful as a teacher. Like I would leave feeling just mentally defeated at the end of the day sometimes. Mm. Um, so that that's been the biggest difference, I'd say, success-wise. It's not I mean and, and if you if you do that, I was always, I was always under the mindset that if you find that kind of success, the financial success will follow.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, when you work on your passion. Yeah, I will have to say, Matt, that um, many of my math teachers, as I was coming up, now take into consideration. You know, this was a few years ago, but many of the math teachers as I was coming up really encouraged that innate skill set in me, and. When everybody else was talking about how hard math was, and I was getting like hundreds on the Regents exams, <laughs> they didn't really make a big deal out of it. But they, they would encourage it in ways that I can only now recognize. You know, they would they they spent time talking to me as an adult because I, I could math was something that was simple to me, and I could. I, I look back on it and think about all of those math teachers that I had that just said, you need to go take that calculus class. Even though you're not required to, you're going to like this class. So I went into my math classes thinking, I'm going to like this. I never went into any kind of math class thinking, ugh, math.
1: <laughs> you're, you're, I think you're the exception, not the rule.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess my point is that you said you felt drained at the end of the day often. And you, you know, in years to come, you may find that many of your students may look back on that and say, was yeah, a really good teacher. And he encouraged me, um, in ways that maybe other people wouldn't have. So, you just never know where success is going to come back. But today you have, you have found success in your definition. And I agree with what you said. And very few people actually reference finances when they, they mention what their definition of success was. And it wasn't an easy, I'm sure uh, it wasn't an easy um, transition to go from that secure paycheck to what you are doing now. But, you're happy about it. And that certainly makes a big difference in the long term of life. Absolutely. So, my final question, and this is the nourish your vine section of the podcast, where we take just a few minutes um, for our guests to provide all the listeners with their number one or however many you might have, financial lessons that you've learned in your lives that you'd like to share.
1: Um well, I'd say two. I'd say i I've, I've been trying to narrow it down to one. But I'd say that the two biggest financial lessons I've learned, and remember, I got a lot of this wrong at first, mm-hmm. um, was the importance of credit and the importance of having an emergency fund. And I think you're going to see, when this current crisis is over, you're going to see people focus more on both. Um, mm-hmm. I think the, having an, having good credit, especially during tough times like this, is really essential for people to not have to be scared of what's coming next. Mm-hmm. It's if if you have the ability to, you know, walk into any bank and and borrow money at a reasonable at reasonable terms, it you know takes the burden off, especially compared to people who can't. Um, if you have enough money in the bank to you know cover three or or ideally six months of your expenses, it's such a great peace of mind when something like this goes on. That you don't have to tap into your retirement savings, you don't have to worry about, you know, wh- who's going to pay for your groceries next week. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. and a lot of people, very, I feel like over the past, it's we've been on what's a ten-year bull market essentially, where mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. economy's done nothing but improve over the past ten years. And I feel like a lot of people have gotten complacent when it comes to emergency savings in particular. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, I can see that if, if there's a silver lining to this financially, I can see a lot of people taking emergency savings a lot more seriously.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. is it, I do agree with you. And, and, you know, one of the things that we've been talking to a lot of people about, and you maybe as well, when it goes back to that whole credit aspect of things is this is also an opportunity to refinance a mortgage at a lower interest rate. And you have to have the credit to do that.
1: Yeah. And especially in times like these, um, a lot of lenders tend to tighten up their standards. We just saw JP Morgan announced that their their minimum credit score for a mortgage is 700 right now Mm -hmm. and that's just Mm -hmm. that's you know that's a pretty good score Mm -hmm. and that's because of they're trying to you know mitigate risk during this crisis
0: Mm -hmm. so they're looking back at the 2007-8 you know situation and saying we're not going to go there again sort of
1: right they want (laughs) they want to make sure all their loans are going to get paid and Mm -hmm. there's no better way to tell a lender that you're going to pay them back than to have a good credit
0: it's scoring. Yeah. Well, Matt, thank you so much ta- for taking time out of your schedule today for continuing to educate the public. How can people follow you, learn more about you, um, you know, ask for particular uh, writings, maybe from you. Um, the best way to
1: follow me is on Twitter at, at TMF, the Motley Fool TMF math guy. Um, that is my Twitter handle. And from there you can get a link to my you know, a feed of my recent articles and all the other, you know, ways to follow me, but that's kind of the central hub, I'd call it.
0: Well, we love the math guys of the world and the math gals of the world. I am completely prejudiced towards it since I love it so much. And we're thankful for all the education that you're putting out there and for continuing to, to think about how to educate the public even more. I do, I couldn't agree with you more on the fact that, um, it is important for us to think about educating people at the basics. I know there was some conversation at one point in time um, about, you know, making every college student take a financial personal finance course. And I, I think that's great, but I think it needs to be brought down into the high school level because not everybody does go to college. And if we can bring that down through all of our efforts, even if it's not necessarily through a formal education, by putting basic education out there for for people to find when they need it, that's you know our our gift to the world, I guess you want to say, and also for your podcast, um, you're you're releasing one every Monday, correct?
1: Correct. Uh, we do the uh, podcast called Industry Focus at the Motley Fool every day. Uh, we do a different sector of the of the stock market every day, and I'm on the the Monday edition, which covers financials or banks and real estate stocks.
0: Well, thank you for continuing to put that information out there, and we really appreciate you being on the show.
1: Oh, anytime.
0: And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at RootedPG for the latest news and If you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in next time.